Yeah. Okay. No, disregard whole thing. I was wrong. I was wrong about being wrong. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 254. I know it's been a while. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Prilliman. We're joined with a new host. Uh, hello, Samantha Har. Hi, everyone. Um, would you like me to do my intro? I would love for you to do your intro. Perfect. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Samantha Har. You can call me Sam, Samma, Sammy, Samwise, anything that makes you happy. Um, Samwise? I grew up Samwise Gamgee. Like, can't... Ooh, does that make me the gaffer? What a nerd. All right. What? So anyway, I grew up in East Tennessee. I currently live in Tampa, Florida, running a game store. I'm working on my master's degree. My favorite magic card is Lightning Bolt. My least favorite magic card is Kitchen Finks. And that's so, what you need to know about me. So it's everything but the Kitchen Finks? <laughs> yeah. See, so I like when you Lightning Bolt things and they stay gone. <laughs> That is that is good when when they they stay they stay gone. Right, I'm uh, sick of persist. So, uh, Sama joined us in episode 217, almost two whole years ago, on running Gosh. a better pre-release. I know, right? Has it really been that long? It's oh, been goodness. longer. It was January of 2019. I feel like every time I come on here, I should be managing a different game store. <laughs> <laughs> can can we do that? You got plans for two weeks from now? I just got to keep finding them. People keep hiring me. Before we get started, this is going to be our Strixhaven release episode where we go over the release notes. However, JudgeCast has been, air quotes, off the air for about eight to nine months now because of <laughs> pandemic. What, did something happen this year, this past year? Yeah, something something kind of happened. There wasn't a whole lot of Judge stuff. New cards and sets did come out, but a lot of the events and stuff that judges do kind of took a back burner to a lot of other things. So next episode, we're going to be talking about what we've been doing during the interim and then kind of how to shake the rust out and start thinking about rules, interactions, and events and stuff like that because everyone's going to be rusty coming back. But for right now, we're going to jump into it with a nice crunchy bit on Strixhaven. Strixhaven. Yeah. Very popular set. It seems really, really cool. The whole school theme. Now, before we get into actually talking about the cards and the mechanics and stuff like that, I do want to highlight, in reading the release notes, there was a very interesting addition to the compiled by section. Uh, there was indeed. Somebody we know, perhaps? Yes. A former host of JudgeCast, Jess Dunks. One Mr. Jess Dunks. Is now the rules manager for Wizards of the Coast. We are super, super proud of him and... Yeah, I mean, this is this is just a, a great accomplishment for him, and we couldn't be happier for him. That is very cool. Do you think he'll still talk to us if he sees a set of events? Do you think he's... Well, <laughs> pos possibly. Uh, I don't necessarily know if he'll be going to as many events as he did in the past, <laughs> but I do know that there might have been like one or two, one or two things uh, I messaged him for, and I was like, hey, did you write this part? And he's like, all right, on to the general stuff. Do you want to kick us off? All right, so Mystical Archive cards are a thing. They are fancy reprints of older cards. I'm sure y'all have seen those in the different booster packs. Um, I believe there is one in every booster pack, except for the collector boosters, which I think have three, don't they? 
is I didn't think that they were I have not actually opened any of the packs. I didn't think that they were that frequent. They are. Yeah, they're they're a bunch of them. Oh, really? Okay. So, cool stuff. They are gorgeous um and look really cool in person. But yeah, so the Mystical Archive cards, um, as you probably already know, these cards are not standard legal unless they were already standard legal. If you pull them in a limited format, you can play them as part of your pool in that limited format. You just can't bring them to standard unless they were already standard legal. There's also a new card where where most of the Mystical Archive cards are reprints. There's also a brand new card called Abundant Harvest. It's new, but it's not standard legal. It's straight to straight to Commander Vintage and Legacy. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that one come up yet. I'll have to check that out. So living living in Tampa, I'm going to have to become a Commander player, I think. Yeah? Everyone around here loves it, so... But yeah, definitely. And the new Commander sets, which we will not be covering in this episode because we don't want a five-hour episode, <laughs> are, are coming out and they look pretty cool. But you yeah. know what else is pretty cool? Magecraft! Magecraft is very cool. I've I've been enjoying using this in my sealed pools. Yep. So, although, let's see. Magecraft is an ability word. This means it doesn't have any rules text of its own, but serves to group similar abilities together to give a common name for all of them. Magecraft abilities, they all have the same trigger condition of whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell. They don't all have the same effect, though. Sometimes it's draw a card. Sometimes it is like in the in the example of uh, Archmage Emeritus. It's a two and blue blue for a two two human wizard. It says Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, draw a card. Sometimes it might be give a bonus to creatures. Sometimes it might be opponents lose a life. But they're all grouped together thematically with whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell. I really enjoyed this example down here with Isochron Scepter as being kind of a peculiar thing when dealing with Magecraft that, let's see. Oh, hold on. Before, before we talk about that, can we talk about how it interacts with Storm and Replicate? Oh, I thought that was further down. Okay. Yeah. So if, if an effect creates multiple copies of an instant or sorcery spell, uh, Magecraft triggers once for each copy. Ba- basically, the real shorthand for this is... It works how you want it to for Storm and Replicate. I thought this sounded so, like, on paper, this looked so complicated when I was, like, trying to draw what the stack looked like. And I just, I psyched myself out and thought this was super complicated, but it's really not that bad. It's not that bad. Now let's let's talk about the generic timing for Storm. Or, or well, yeah, we'll do, we'll do Storm, because that's, that's probably one of the more complicated cases. So let's say I cast, or let's just talk about generic. So I just cast a random spell. Uh, brainstorm. So you cast the spell, the Magecraft trigger is going to go on on top of the spell on the stack. So the trigger is actually going to resolve first. Okay, so in the case of Archmage Emeritus, I would draw the card before resolving Brainstorm. You go, okay, now let's dial up the complexity to 11 <laughs> and talk about Storm. Storm is a triggered ability that says, when you cast this spell, copy it for each other spell that was cast this turn. That's awesome. Here come the copies. Right. So if I cast, you know, let's say Dragon Storm, because, you know, if you're going to if you're gonna storm, let's storm big. You're going to get uh, a, a copy for each previously cast, for each other spell that was cast before at this turn. So if you'd cast, like, a bunch of mana ramp spells, like, say, three of them. Let's just say three. I'm going to get three copies. I'm going to get my original Dragonstorm and then three copies. But the thing is, both Magecraft and the Storm Trigger 
are both triggers that trigger on casting. So I played Dragonstorm. The Storm ability triggers and Magecraft trigger. So I can choose which of those go on the stack end. The, the single Magecraft trigger for drag, casting Dragonstorm or the, 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 the Storm trigger that makes all the copies. So I can do, I can do you know, A then B or B then A. I can put them either way. Probably isn't going to make a, a whole lot of difference in the end, but it might. So let's say I put the Storm trigger and then I put the Magecraft trigger. In the case of Archmage Emeritus, then I would then draw a card because I cast Dragonstorm. Then the Storm trigger would resolve, making me three copies. Boom, 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 boom. They all go on the stack. And then Archmage Emeritus' Magecraft is going to trigger again, boom, 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 and put three copies uh, three copies of draw card on the stack. You're going to draw those three copies of the card, and then go get your three dragons from uh, the Storm Trigger. Then you're going to go get your dragon from your, your OG Dragon Storm. This is like the definition of that escalated quickly. All right, so let's talk about Isochron Scepter. So does this trigger Magecraft? Um, when Isochron Scepter enters the battlefield, you may exile an instant card with converted mana cost two or less from your hand. Then there's an activated ability. You may copy the exiled card. If you do, you may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. So here's this artifact, and does it trigger Magecraft? It does, but not in the way you would expect. Um... You are creating the copy of the exiled card in exile. You are not copying a spell. So because you're copying the card in exile and then casting it, what's actually causing Magecraft to trigger is the casting, not the copying. So that's kind of interesting. And that's one of those things that may not matter, but good to know just in case. So another thing we don't want to miss is Ward. Let's talk about the Ward ability. This would be uh, Dick Grayson to um, to Bruce Wayne, right? It's the Dick Grayson ability because he's Robin. The wart. Look, it's been eight months. I've got all these bad puns Your and eighties references. So bad. They are so bad. And they they age like a fine wine. Um. Oh, you know what? In speaking of which, it's a shame that we're waiting till later to talk about the modal double face cards because you had a very you actually had a very good joke for those. And now you can't tell it. Oh, I already forgot what it was. It's okay. I'll tell it and pretend it was my good idea. Okay, that works. All right. So anyway, let's go back to Ward. Um, Let's see. Waterfall Aerialist has Ward. Let's see. Flying Ward 2. Whenever this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability, an opponent controls counter it unless that player pays too. So you get to make people pay things they don't want to pay. So, (laughs) ward is a triggered ability. Ward cost means whenever this permanent becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter that spell unless the player pays the cost. The costs differ depending on what's happening, but yeah, make them pay for what they've done to you. If a player casts a spell that targets multiple permanents their opponent controls with ward, each of those ward abilities will trigger... And if that player doesn't pay all of them, the spell will be countered. So you can really, <laughs> yeah. you can really make them pay. Um, it looks like Ward is an evergreen ability, so we will be seeing this again in future sets. So that's exciting. Um, Ward is going to potentially be weird policy-wise. You cast, you cast it on my creature, but it's my trigger. 
If you cast a spell targeting my ward creature and I don't say anything and you put the spell in the graveyard, was the trigger missed and the spell resolved or did the spell get countered? Let's 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 walk through this. You've got a waterfall area list out, ward two, and I cast murder targeting it. So I go murder your waterfall area list. Now you've got a trigger that says my murder is going to get countered unless I pay two. Right. Okay. And so I go murder it. You go, okay. And then I put my murder in the graveyard. So whose responsibility does this become, friends? Right. So is it, I I didn't pay two for my murder, so you could argue that it's countered. I, meanwhile, could argue that you missed your trigger, therefore you need to put it in the graveyard. Why aren't you putting it in the graveyard? Yeah, so that's... Yeah, so deciding whose responsibility this is has the potential to cause them feel bad. So let's take a look at philosophy from Miss Trigger section of policy here. Even if an opponent is involved in the announcement or resolution of an ability, the controller is still responsible for ensuring that the opponents make the appropriate choices and take the appropriate actions. So even if they have to do something, you need to be responsible for the things you are causing here. Yeah. Opponents are not required to point out triggered abilities that they do not control, though they may do so if they wish, of course. Yeah. So so basically it's going to work that you, the controller of the ward trigger, are responsible for informing that, or we believe that um, you're going to be responsible, you, the controller of the ward trigger, are going to be responsible for pointing out to uh, the, the caster of murder that they need to pay two or it's going to get countered. This is similar. There's a card called Frost Titan. And I had some talks with some people to try and remember back when this card was in standard, how we handled it. Because basically it had an ability that's that's Ward 2. And I think this is where we ended up. So it's probably what we're going to end up back with with policy is you don't get to just keep silent and 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 your opponent and then neener neener your opponent, you, you know, force your opponent into a decision that you didn't tell them that they needed to make. Right. I feel like of the different skills that magic is testing, there there's something to be said for people knowing what cards do. But I think that, you know, especially for newer mechanics and stuff, I don't know, it seems like just good sportsmanship at the very least to let people know when a decision is supposed to be made on their part. Like it, it probably doesn't feel good to have to tell them, but it, it seems like at least the right thing to do. Oh, what? So I got to play, I got to play my opponent's deck for them. No, you just got to tell them what your trigger does because don't it, be in, away about it, right? it involves, it involves them making a decision. So they got to know that they're, they got to make a decision. That's a, that's a lesson that you need to learn. Well, speaking of learn, there is a, new mechanic called learn i'm gonna learn you good gonna learn you good this one is so cool there's an example study breaks one in a one in a white for an instant says tap up to two target creatures period and then learn period you gonna learn today so what learn means is you may reveal a lesson card uh that you own from outside the game and put it in your hand or discard a card to draw a card. Uh, now that's that's actually the the reminder text. The rules text is a little bit different. It says you may discard a card. If you do, uh, draw a card. If you didn't discard a card, you may reveal a lesson card you own from outside the game and put it in your hand. Any okay. card that I own. Uh so let's let's talk about this. It's it's specifically it's a lesson card. So <laughs> lessons is a new subtype for instance and sorceries. They don't do anything on their own. 
if you remember like arcane which was a subtype for instance in sorceries that didn't actually do anything on its own it didn't mean anything other than other spells and abilities used that subtype same thing with lesson so it's lesson is a new subtype that doesn't do anything on its own it's really just a handle for other rules to grab hold of it so if a lesson is learned it's going to stay in the game so that card that you pull in from outside the game it's going to stay in the game until the game ends or its owner leaves the game so your your lesson doesn't stay behind if you have to if you have to leave whichever comes first in constructed tournaments you can only learn a lesson from your sideboard Okay, that's that seems to make sense. You don't get to like reach into your into your backpack and pull out pull out a binder. We would all be carrying much larger backpacks, I feel. Yes. Now that's for constructed tournaments. In casual constructed games, you you can learn a lesson from your entire collection, so you can bust out your binder and look for some lessons. In a sealed or draft event, the card pool that you can learn your lesson from is your sideboard. Now this is a little bit, a little bit probably just I'm being a little rusty. In Commander, you don't have sideboards, and I found some rules where it's like wishboards, like those those abilities don't function. So I'm gonna have to pretend to be a little ignorant on this. Well, I feel like I feel like if you know, with Commander not having like official sideboards, I feel like this much like how my friends and I play Uno is the rules on commander sideboards or whatever you can convince everyone else at the table that the rules are for commander sideboards. Yeah, that's, that's true. But when you go to like play at a, a, an on-demand event at a, at a GP, everyone tends to stick to the rules and the rules. Yeah. And I feel, I feel a little bad, but at the same time, when I was making these notes up, it was kind of late and you can see, you can see that I actually just stopped writing in mid sentence for one of these notes. Or mid-word. But if it's casual... And I was just like, eh. eh I'll couldn't, figure this out Couldn't later. even finish the thought. Couldn't even finish the word. Commander's too much. Podcast pros. <laughs> All right, what's, what we got next? All right, let's see. Next up, we have Demonstrate. So this is flavorful. So an example card here is Excavation Technique. For three generic and a white, it's a sorcery. And it has Demonstrate. When you cast this spell, you may copy it. May. If you do, choose an opponent to also copy it. Players may choose new targets for their copies. And then the effect here is destroy target non-land permanent. Its controller creates two treasure tokens. So you do a thing and then you and your, you know, an opponent can do a thing. Like you, like they're, you're demonstrating for them what it is you're doing. And that's flavorful. I like that. So every set there is at least one card that copies spells. And now there is a whole mechanic that does it. Yep. You choose whether to make a copy as the demonstrate ability resolves. Yep. Since you do things in the order in which they appear on the card, the copying happens before the original spell resolves, so your copy goes on the stack above the original spell. So that's notable. Um, if you copy a spell with the demonstrate, you then immediately choose an opponent. If they copy the spell, it goes on top of the stack. So I was wondering, do I assume they have to, to copy it, right? Yes. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think your opponent has a choice. Right, but they do get to, they do get to choose new targets. Correct. Yeah, they they don't get to opt out of co- out of the copy, but at least they get to choose who it happens to. So if you, what it happens to. Yeah. So if you really really wanted to be a, a big jerk with excavation technique, make sure when you cast it that your opponent is the one that has just the non land permanence, and then you demonstrate, and they're gonna have to copy it, but they're gonna have to target. Well, actually, they don't have to. What they can do is 
they can choose not to change the target. True. They can just go ahead and do whatever was going to be done anyway and yeah. bite the bullet on that. But when you cast it, you when you cast the spell, you're going to copy it and then the opponent gets to copy it and so the opponent's copy is going to out of the out of the copies, the opponent's spell is going to resolve first. Right, it's going to be at the top of the stack so it's it gets to do its thing before any anything else resolves. So, let's see. If the spell requires a target, you choose the target of the original spell as you cast it. If you create a copy of the spell, you may choose new targets. Um, let's see. Similarly, the opponent you you chose to create a copy may choose new targets for that spell as it's created. And the last bit is your opponent's going to will know the targets of your original spell and your copy when they are choosing the targets for their copy. Right. You can't keep it a secret until theirs resolves. <laughs> you do have to name your targets as part of casting the spell. Let's talk about the mastery spells. Uh, you know, uh, just like just like every FAQ, we have cards that talk about copying. Uh, every FAQ, we have things that talk about cards that have alternate costs. And there is a cycle of mastery cards that have an alternate cost. For example, Baleful Mastery is three and a black. It's an instant that says, you may pay one and a black rather than pay this spell's mana cost. If the one and a black cost was paid... An opponent draws a card, exile target creature planeswalker. So if you pay the three and a black, it just target exile target creature planeswalker. If you pay the one and a black, um, an opponent's going to draw a card. So basically, you get the spell a little bit cheaper, but the opponent's going to get a card. Alternative costs really tripped me up as a new judge. They do. So. So basically, if you have multiple effects that let you pay an alternate cost for a card, you only get to pay one alternate cost. You don't get to to do multiples. Uh, sometimes alternate costs let you cast the card from the graveyard or cast the card from exile or do something or cast it while you're in the middle of discarding it, that kind of thing. Since I said like the alternate cost, like for example, flashback is an alternate cost that lets you cast out of the graveyard. I can't give Baleful Mastery flashback and then decide to cast it out of the gra- out of the graveyard for the one in a black alternate cost that's on the card. Because because sometimes the alternate the alternate cost is tied to how you cast it. This is you are paying a cost, so any effect no mixing that, and matching. Yeah, no mixing and matching. Also, if there's an effect that increases or decreases the cost of spells to cast, the alternate cost is also increased or decreased. Okay, so uh, Trinisphere is, a, is an example. Trinisphere says basically if something if a spell costs less than less than three, it costs three. Summary. So if I go to cast Baleful Mastery for its alternate cost, which is one and a black, that's less than three. Trinisphere would say, mm, you're now three. Mm, sounds like three, though. Right. Or if you have a Jet Medallion, which means your black spells cost one less to pay, you could get you could do the alternate cost for just a single black. Pretty cool. Nice. Paying the alternate cost of a spell you know, does not alter its mana value. Well, Prill, what on earth is a mana value? I'm, it's, okay. We didn't have mana value back in my day. Back in my day, right. <laughs> um, mana value is the artist formerly known as converted mana cost, which is just the number mm. up in the up in the corner. Uh, in the case of Baleful Mastery, it's three and a black, so it's converted mana cost would be four. I guess converted mana cost is too many letters. Honestly, like, I, I laugh about things changing over time and not knowing what's going on, but I think mana value is more intuitive 
wording for what it is we're talking about. It it probably is. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to instinctively call him converted mana cost for the next five years. Like writing these notes, I was still writing comes into play instead of enters the battlefield. And enters the battlefield's been like eight, nine years by now. I was gonna say if we wait long enough it might come back. So it's not gonna come you know hang back. on you never know. Yeah. All right. I think I'll just let's let's just talk about modal double face cards real quick. Let's just mention them casually. Um so modal double face cards, yeah, we we have seen these in sets before, but we were not recording when we saw those in sets before, so we have not talked about them yet. But they have a lot going on. So I think we agreed we were going to do a whole episode on modal double face cards. Um, and honestly, I could stand to study up on this because where what they are, where they are is much more complicated than than you might think. Yeah, it's there's some rules in there that do some heavy lifting. And realistically, if we spent all the time talking about modal double face cards, we wouldn't have enough time. We wouldn't have any time left over to actually talk about the Strixhaven cards. So. Uh, modal double face cards are cards that you could cast either face. And there's some other things that we're going to be talking about. Probably as we, as we talk about specific cards, if there's an aspect of modal double face cards that's relevant, we'll bring it up. But uh, presumably you've been interacting with them on Arena uh, at least somewhat. And we'll get into the crunchy rules bit in a in a later episode where we can carve off like 45 minutes to an hour for just the, that. Uh... The crunchy rules start looking a little bit like Calvin Ball. It's just made up as it goes. Oh, it's <laughs> not, not. It makes it. It 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 adds up. It does add up eventually. Just at a, at first yeah. glance, it yeah, it's we, something. We got to talk about uh, uh, substitute cards too, instead of checklist cards and all that fun stuff. But more new words. Yeah, let's uh, let's get into let's get into the individual cards. You want to kick us off? All right, individual cards. First up, we have Academic Probation. Oof, not something anyone wants to be on. Um, this is for a generic and a white. It's a sorcery lesson. We talked about those earlier. So choose one. Choose a non-land card name. Opponents can't cast spells with the chosen name until your next turn. The other option here is choose target non-land permanent. Until your next turn, it can't attack or block and its activated abilities can't be activated. So that's pretty exciting. For the first mode of this card, you choose the card name on resolution. There is no opportunity for opponents to respond once it starts resolving and they know the name. The second mode does target and is declared when casting. So, okay, so this is a, this is a sorcery, but there are some weird corner cases where sorceries can be cast in response to other spells. Looking at you, Commander. Yeah, if that happens and you name a spell cast earlier but but is still on the stack, it won't affect that spell because it's already on the stack. There's no take backsies on that. <laughs> um, the first mode only affects casting the spell. Putting it onto the battlefield is not affected. Okay, so here we are with the, the modal double face cards. You can name either face of a modal double face card but not both. You can name either half of a split card but not both. Can't have your cake and eat it too. Gotta pick. <laughs> if you target a non-creature permanent with the second mode and the permanent later becomes a creature, it still can't attack or block. Still applies. Can't sneak around it. That's the way of it. All right. The next card up that we're going to talk about, and probably I should talk about how we go about choosing choosing the cards to talk about. I would be lying if I didn't say when we go through the release notes that the amount of text 
dedicated to explaining the card kind of raises a red flag as to what we want to talk about. <laughs> but we also we also look at cards that generate common questions, even if even if the card doesn't have a whole lot of uh, rules text. But what we see questions getting asked, we try and go ahead and preemptively answer it. And then sometimes just there's a, a rule interaction that bears repeating over and over again that we highlighted. And, and Aether Helix is uh, an example of that. Uh, so it's three green blue for a sorcery that says tar- return target permanent to its owner's hand, return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. So when you cast this, you are targeting two things, okay? You have to have the two targets to cast it. However, if one of those targets becomes illegal, it's still going to try and do the appropriate action on the remaining target. So if the card leaves the graveyard, you're still going to try and return the target permanent to its owner's hand. And if both targets get removed, well, the spell's going to get countered. Well, you couldn't have done anything if both the targets became illegal anyway, but the spell wouldn't resolve. And then, with effects that let you copy spells, you can choose new targets. You can you can choose new targets. Like you don't have to. <laughs> okay, so if always you, an option. But... Yeah, yeah. So there there might be some some cases where this thing gets copied, and you don't want to return something else. You don't have to. You don't have to change the targets. Okay. No one's gonna make you. All right. Next up, we have. Okay, I'm gonna try to say this. Um, Augmenter pugilist. Yes. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. <laughs> and echoing equation. Augmenter Pugilist is a generic green green creature troll du- troll druid. Um, it's a 3-3 three, three with trample. As long as you control eight or more lands, Augmenter Pugilist gets plus five plus five. So that's great for a green card. Um, so this is a modal double-faced card. So on the back side of this, is the Echoing Equation for three generic blue-blue. It's a sorcery. Choose target creature you control. Each other creature you control becomes a copy of it until end of turn, except those creatures aren't aren't legendary if the chosen creature is legendary. So you get to skirt the legendary rule there a little bit, which is kind of cool. So going to our, our front face here, the plus five plus five is a static ability. It is added immediately when you have eight plus creatures and disappears instantly when you have seven or fewer. Remember, damage lasts till end of turn, so if your 8-8 eight, eight takes six damage and then you drop below eight creatures, ooh, AP will lose the bonus. Yeah. Your pugilist uh, is less pugilistic. Less pugeful. <laughs> pugeful. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> All right, so... I threw up in my mouth a little bit with yeah, that. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, let's talk about Echoing Equation. <laughs> echoing Equations copies Echoing Equations copies the printed values on the target creature. It won't copy any counters or any effects in the later layers. So just Xerox the card. That's what you got. However, if the chosen creature is copying something else, the other creatures will become copies of whatever the chosen creature is copying. Yeah. Yeah, so it's the copies short, of copies. Yeah, so the short shorthand is when you copy a creature, you you do you just get a Xerox, but it's really it's you get a copy of the creature, the printed card, modified by other copy effects. So, right. The prime example is clone. Well, clone is a zero zero, but when it comes down, you're going to copy a bear cup. So if you then use um, echoing equation to target the clone of the bear cub, 
each other creature you control is going to be a copy of Bear Cub. Right. They aren't going to be zero zeros that just die and yeah. you have to be sad about it. So Yeah. I mean, right. instead, you got a ton of Bear Cubs, and who wouldn't want a ton of Bear Cubs? Who wouldn't want that? So cute. All right. If the target creature is a token, the other creatures will copy the original characteristics of the token as stated by the effect that created the token. Um, if you play a creature later in the turn, the creature will not become a copy due to Echoing Equation. The creatures that Echoing Equation affect are locked in on resolution, so nobody can show up late to the party. Uh, the next card that we're going to talk about, well, we're, we're going to talk around. <laughs> uh, it's a card called Blade Historian. It is the basically the Boros hybrid mana, red-white. It's four of those uh, for a human cleric, a 2-3 that says attacking creatures you control have double strike. All right, so let's let's talk about this. So I swing with my bear cub. My bear cub has double strike, okay? Um, so it's going to deal first strike damage, and it's going to deal regular strike damage, okay? For some reason, my opponent lets the bear cub deal first strike damage to my opponent and then decides to bolt the the blade historian so blade historian dies so my bear cub which had double strike no longer has double strike so what happens when it comes time to deal damage during regular strike well bear cub's not going to deal any damage you go well wait a second it, it, it doesn't have first strike it doesn't have double strike it should deal that damage well the normal damage dealing phase is for creatures that didn't deal double strike, uh, didn't deal damage during the first strike combat damage step, or have uh, a double strike. So because the bear cub actually dealt damage during first strike, it doesn't get to deal again in regular strike. So there you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have charge through for one green. It's an instant target creature gains trample until end of turn and draw a card. So if the target is removed before resolution, uh-oh, you don't get to do nothing. Because yeah. if, if target appears once, then you have to have that target or else nothing on the card is going to work the way you want. Unfortunate, yeah. but true. All right. Oh, this next card. I tell you. Oh, when here I, we go. Here's when, the good stuff. When I saw this card, my first thought was, is that a mana ability? And I read it. Yeah. yeah oh, it, it is. is. Yep. So this card is Cody vociferous codex it's a hungry little book and it's adorable it is a three mana uh legendary artifact creature construct for one four with the ability that says you can't cast permanent spells rude rude well but it doesn't stop there because that would be an awful card um <laughs> so what it does is it has a second ability that's for foreign tap add wooberg to your mana pool then Strap in for the wordiest mana ability ever. Get Ad, ready. Add Wooberg. When you cast your next spell this turn, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile an instant or sorcery card with lesser mana value. Until the end of turn, you may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Put each of the other cards exiled this way on the bottom of your library in random order. Oof. Okay. So let's let's talk about the first ability first, because that's, that's a little smaller. With the first ability, even though it says you can't cast permanent spells, you can still play lands, because lands aren't permanent spells. They are permanents, but they're not spells. You don't cast them. Yep. 
and then you can cast instance uh, instance and sorceries. Now, if you have a modal double face card that's a sorcery and instant on one side and a permanent on the other side, you can still cast the instant or sorcery face. Okay. All right. Now let's talk about this mana ability. <laughs> so as a mana ability, you can activate it while casting another spell. Okay. Opponents can't respond to it. Uh, but they can still they can still respond to casting of the exiled spell and such. But so you're gonna add the mana to your mana pool when you cast your next spell, which is the spell is considered cast when all the steps of casting the spell are are done. You're gonna start exiling from the top of your library until you exile an instant or sorcery card with a lesser lesser mana value. Now, now this is a let's let's talk from a timing standpoint. We're going we're gonna to talk about you're exiling the sorcery or instant card. Now, because there are double-faced cards in this, in this format with the backsides as a sorcery, we've been talking about on double-faced cards, it's like, oh, you can, you can cast, you know, the first ability, oh, you can cast it as an instant or sorcery regardless of what the other face is. In this particular case, double-faced cards in exile are whatever they are on the front face. You don't get to see what's in the back face. So if it's a, if it's a permanent on the front and a sorcery on the back, you're gonna whiff in terms of the exiling and until you exile a source an instant or sorcery card with lesser mana value. Okay. It doesn't matter that the back is a sorcery in this particular case. Okay. Now because this is a mana ability that you can do while casting another casting another spell, from a timing standpoint, you can actually cast the spell exiled with Cody before the spell you used Cody for to pay for resolves. Okay, so you basically, you start to cast your spell, you activate uh, Cody to use the mana ability, the spell gets cast now, Cody triggers, and you start exiling, finding cards, you find it, and then you decide, I want to cast it right now, boom, it's on top of the stack and it's going to resolve first. This took every brain cell in my head to think about. Oh, we ain't done yet. <laughs> I know, it keeps going. Right, that's only like one paragraph. The second ability, uh, when we exile these cards, we're going to exile them uh, face up so the opponent's going to get to see them. Since you are casting that spell without paying its mana cost, you can't cast with alternate costs. Uh, also, if you're cast- if the card that you're casting has an X in the mana cost, you must choose zero for X. And then if you go through your whole library this way, exiling cards and you never find a card with lesser mana value, lesser converted mana cost with a lower mana value, uh, all those exiled cards become the bottom of your library in a random order. So basically shuffle and your exiled cards become your, your library again. And the effect ends. You don't just keep looping and looping for forever. And you haven't milled yourself to death. Yep. That was a lot. Um, something I would like to point out about Cody, by mm-hmm. the way. He has one eyeball on the side of his head, which means he is a prey animal, meaning somewhere in this world are things that eat Cody's. Hmm. That's you, important you said, to me. You said, you said that's on the side of side of his head. It's I, on the side of his book head. Well, I kind of see that as the top, right? If the book was just laying down on a table. So he's always just got his neck bent. <laughs> this is, this is, this is. Walking in circles. Oh, it says the Vociferous Codex. I wonder if this stand that it's on is part of the animated book. All right. Let's talk about Crackle with Power. I love this card. It's expensive for a red card, but it it does some cool stuff. All right. So Crackle with Power, XXX, 
Red, red. Sorcery. Crackle with power deals five times X damage to each of up to X targets. So who's ready for some math? Who's ready for some arithmetic? Yay. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not that bad, but... I don't want an algebra class. Well, this is this is kind of fitting that it's math class, right? It's <laughs> it's a school based set, and this is math class. I never had any math classes that looked as cool as this card. I wish strong red cards. I'm all about it. Let's let's do the 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 math here. What what happens if X is one? All right, so that would be one 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 red red. So what is five times one? It's, it's five. five. So five times X damage. So that's five damage. To each of up to X targets. X is still one. So five damage to each of up to one target. So five damage, five mana for five damage to one target. Correct. Meh. Not excited. Well, what happens when it's two then? That's kind of exciting. All right. So that's two, 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 six, seven, eight. So that's eight mana. And then I get to do five times two. So that's 10. 10 damage to up to two targets starting to like the sound of that it's still a lot but i can imagine like in commander after a while when you get it up to like 11 you, you x is three you're dealing 15 damage to three targets uh that's a lot for just like kill three things right but i mean that damage can go to the other players so you know depends on how bad oh, yeah. you are ready to that's right hit someone in the face yeah, you know you could these you things could, happen you could do a lot and you could kill all the players at the table with it if you get high enough <laughs> the next card that we're going to talk about is deadly brew uh, which is a sequel to the 80s movie Strange Brew, uh, starring Rick Moranis and that guy no one else remembers. Girl, I'm 33. You know I don't know what that is. The the one other person who got that joke is laughing. Okay, Deadly Brew is black and a green for a sorcery. Each player sacrifices a creature or planeswalker. If you sacrifice a permanent this way, you may return another permanent from your graveyard to your hand. Okay, so first off, you're sacrificing a creature or a planeswalker. It's probably going to be a permanent. So that that if you sacrificed a permanent this way is is really just did did you sacrifice the creature or planeswalker? Okay, so this says each player has to sacrifice a creature. So how do we determine? How does it go about us figuring out who gets to know what creatures are being sacrificed? Because if we're all playing in a game, my decision to sacrifice it which creature I sacrifice might depend on what creature Sama chooses to sacrifice. So you get into this thing where we're, we're kind of waiting to see who's going to blink first. Nah, the rules already got this covered. The active player chooses which creature or planeswalker they will sacrifice first. Then everyone goes uh, in turn order making choices. Everybody gets to see what everybody before chose. So if I'm active player, Sama will get to see what I choose to sacrifice before she chooses. Then once all those decisions are made, all the permanents are going to be sacrificed simultaneously. Okay, so then you've got if you sacrifice a, a permanent this way, you may return another permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. So once, all, once everything gets sacrificed, you choose the permanent to return to your hand as Deadly Brew resolves after the permanents are sacrificed. Okay, cannot return the same permanent card that you sacrificed. Okay. All right. Next up, we have Double Major for a green and a blue. It's an instant. See, copy target creature spell you control, except it isn't legendary if the spell is legendary. Again, we're getting to skirt those legendary rules. All right. If a creature spell is copied, it's put onto the battlefield as a token as the spell resolves, rather than putting the copy of the spell onto the battlefield. The rules that apply to a permanent spell becoming a permanent apply to a copy of a spell becoming a token. 
the token that a resolving copy of a spell becomes isn't said to have been quote unquote created. This is a new rule since we did these last since we did these recent updates. Um, no, it doesn't work for doubling season or anointed procession, unfortunately. Yeah, both of those cards say if you create something, create two of the somethings instead. This doesn't count as creating. Unfortunate, but that would be real good. Yep. All right, next up is Elemental Expressionist for four blue-red hybrids. Now, this card actually has a little bit of errata already in it, so I'm going to read what it says on the card, and then I'm going to read what the errata is. Uh, so it's a 4-4 Orc Wizard, as you do. Magecraft, whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, choose target creature you control. Until end of turn, it gains, quote, if this creature would leave the battlefield, exile instead of putting it anywhere else, end quote. And, quote, when you exile this creature, create a 4-4 blue and red elemental elemental uh, creature token. So the errata on this card is specifically the trigger that says... When you when you exile this creature, create the 4-4 blue token. They changed it to, when this creature is put into exile, create a 4-4 blue red creature token. That makes sense. Right, or what happens if somebody else exiles it? What, what happens in other cases of exile? Notable about Elemental Expressionist is, I want this airbrushed onto the side of a van. <laughs> <laughs> this art is sick. It's kind of like a, yeah. It's, it's got a lot going on, and it's all good for an orc wizard. Yeah, I could also. It could also be like an Ed Hardy shirt or something too. Like Ooh, imagine that done whoa, in, rhin- down. <laughs> in rhinestones. Ooh, we. Oh, I didn't think we were going that tacky. Oh what? man, let's go. Let's, let's let's move on to Frost Trickster. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let me, let me just, a blue. Hold on. Let's yeah. real, real quick with uh with elemental expressionist. So. What's going to happen is is you're going to you're going to target the creature you control. It's going to gain the ability if this creature would leave the battlefield, exile it instead of putting it anywhere else. And then when you exile this creature, put a four four token, uh, put a four four blue and red token. So if you target a uh, a token creature with this ability, okay, they do get exiled and they they exist for just a split second before they go pop. So you're going to get your four four blue and red because it was still it was still exiled. It does make it there. Yes. And then with this Magecraft trigger, I cast two instants and target the same creature. It's going to have two instances of the when you exile this creature, create a 4-4 blue and red elemental creature token. So you would get two critters if that thing would leave the battlefield. All right. So next up, Frost Trickster. It's two generic and a blue for a creature bird wizard. It's a 2-2 flyer, of course. When Frost Trickster enters the battlefield, tap target creature and opponent controls. That creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. So you can cast this on an already tapped creature, and that creature won't untap during its controller's next untap step. Um, This is just important to remember because stuff like this is really easy to forget. Everyone is going to forget this is happening, so be careful. Yep. Harness Infinity. For one, black, 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 green, 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 so seven total mana. It is an instant that says, exchange your hand and graveyard. Exile nice. Harness Affinity. Basically, mechanically, you just take your hand, put it down on the, put it down where your graveyard is, pick your graveyard up, put it, now it's your hand. Okay, it's it's not anything weird like um, with uh, 
with living death where you're like taking all the creatures on the battlefield and exiling them and then taking the graveyard and putting on the nope this is just swap you know instant swapsies um, swap. yep you're not discarding the cards in your hand okay um anything that triggers off of discard isn't gonna trigger also this exchange is gonna happen even if because these are zones the exchange is still going to happen. You're exchanging zones. Even the exchange will still happen even if there are no cards in your hand or graveyard. So you could get nothing. Also, you're still going to need to discard to the maximum hand size during your cleanup step. So maybe, you know, consider that when you decide when to cast it because it is an instant. All right. All right. Next up, we have Hoffrey Ghost Forge for three generic, a red and a white. A legendary creature, Dwarf Cleric, and it is a 4-5. This one's got a lot going on. Um, First up, Spirits you control get plus one, plus one, and have Trample and Haste. All right, and then whenever another non-token creature you control dies, exile it. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that creature, except it's a spirit in addition to its other types. And it has... When this creature leaves the battlefield, return the exiled card to your graveyard. So, wowie, okay. I think this card is probably going to result in a little bit of a rules change. It's quirkiness because what it's doing is it's creating a linked ability that actually spans different objects. So yeah, that, That's really peculiar, yeah. Yeah, so let's just go ahead and explain what it does and then just realize that the comprehensive rules are going to probably change so that what we're saying is going to be correct stay tuned it could get different <laughs> right. <laughs> all right hoffrey ghost forge's last ability is linked to the ability it grants the spirit token if a replacement effect causes you to create more than one spirit token with this effect they will all have that ability and the exiled card will be returned to the graveyard if any of them leaves the battlefield if another creature enters the battlefield as a copy of the spirit token or another effect creates a copy of the spirit token, it will have the triggered ability granted by Hoffrey, but will not be linked to Hoffrey's ability and will not return the card to the graveyard when it leaves the <laughs> battlefield. I know, I know. Okay. Can you imagine being a brand new magic player and have, having to try to figure that out? I... Hooey. Well, right. I mean, I don't think brand new magic players are quite gonna gonna get another creature entering the battlefield as a copy of the spirit token created off of this this <laughs> like how did I get here? Right. This is this is the kind of thing that like someone someone is doing this deliberately. Like someone is doing this to torment right, us. Right. Right. This is This isn't just a hey judge, it's a hey judge. <laughs> like golly. Oof. All right. So each spirit token you create refers only to the card you exiled during the resolution of the ability that created that token. When it leaves the battlefield, you return only that card to your graveyard, not any other card exiled by Hoffrey. So you got to keep track. Got to keep track. Got to keep track. Okay. Easy enough. So if you can't exile the card, perhaps because another effect moved the card before the triggered ability started resolving, you won't create the token. Okay. The copy uses the copyable values of the creature as it was as it last existed on the battlefield before it died, not as it existed in the graveyard before it was exiled. I'm just going to offer up my opinion as a as a judge on this. This card is not worth the complexity. It, that's a lot of that's a lot of complexity for your buck. So let's talk about 
Casmina Enigma Sage. Uh, she is a planeswalker for one green blue with four abilities. With, with one of them is each other planeswalker you control. This is a static ability. Each other planeswalker you control has the loyal abilities of Casima Enigma Sage. Plays well with others. Yes, she does play very, very well with others. So her abilities are plus two, scry one. Minus X, create a zero, zero green and blue fractal creature token. Put X plus one plus one counters on it. And then minus eight, search your library for an instant sorcery card that shares a color with this planeswalker. Exile that card, then shuffle. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Okay, so other planeswalkers have Casmina's abilities in addition to their own, but you still only get to activate one loyalty ability per planeswalker on during your turn. Okay, so you don't get you don't get to activate the planeswalker's ability and then the copy of uh, Kazmina's ability that's on that planeswalker. Okay, this is also pretty baller just with uh, with the pl- War of the Spark planeswalkers that didn't have any plus loyalty abilities because you can because now they're going to have the plus two ability. Now they can. Yeah. 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 Now, here's an interesting little thing um, note from the second uh, for the last ability. Search your library for an instant or sorcery card that shares a color with this planeswalker. Exile that card, blah, blah, blah. Normally, you would say shares a color with Kazmina. But I think they said this planeswalker so that when that ability is copied, you know, there's that whole rule that says, like, if you copy an ability and it includes the name of a permanent, really the name just means this, this thing. So I don't think from a rule standpoint saying shares a color with this planeswalker is relevant or represents like a template change. It's probably just to make it clearer as to what happens on your Liliana of the Veil or whatever, if you minus eight uh, using Kazmina's ability. Specify that we're not literally always talking about Kazmina. Yeah, I mean, from a rule standpoint, you don't need to, but it's probably just preventing a question before it gets asked. Just in case. All right, so next up we have Lorehold Command for three generic, a red, and a white. It is an instant, and it, let's see, choose two. First up, you can create a 3-2 red and white spirit creature token. Another option is creatures you control get plus one, plus O, and gain indestructible and haste until end of turn. Lorehold Command deals three damage to any target. Target player gains three life. And last, you can sacrifice a permanent, then draw two cards. Um, you do have to follow the instructions in order. There are four different modes there. Um, whichever ones you choose, you do have to do them in the order that they are listed. Um, and the, the third mode there has, a, has, I guess, two targets, in fact. Lorehold Command deals three damage to any target. Target player gains three life. So that that's two se- can be two separate targets, right? Mm-hmm. Right, so... If the targets get removed, the whole spell is countered. Um, but if you choose two different targets, they would both have to be removed for that, right? Right. Or made in, in illegal. Right. Remove your friend from the building. Mm-hmm. All right. So so this holds for all the commands. Yeah, so there's a cycle. And it's right. basically you follow the instructions in order and then pay attention to modes, modes have targets or not. All right. Magma Opus. There it That's is. A great name. For six blue red, an instant magma opus deals four damage divided as you choose among any number of targets. Tap two target permanents, create four, create a four four blue and red elemental creature token, draw two cards. Then you can 
blue red hybrid blue red hybrid discard magma opus create a treasure token so this is actually a bit of casting a spell that's not commonly done when we talk about you know put the spell on the stack make choices about the spell declare the 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 targets then we've got this this how to distribute rule so this is where we're distributing the four damage so when you cast this and you're choosing your targets you're actually going to have to specify how the damage is going to be distributed so if if i'm having only two targets Okay, I have to specify three damage to this target, one damage to this target. And it says among any number of targets, I can't pick five or 10 or 20 targets, okay, because I've only got four damage. So that's another rule. If I'm dividing a thing, I can only choose as many targets as I can, I can assign a thing to. So in this particular case, I've got four damage. I can break that up four ways, one damage each. So the most I can target with this is four targets. You can't do eight different targets, half damage. Right. This isn't half an, a damage each. <laughs> this is, you might actually be able to in like an unset. An unset, be, Because right. they had half damage. So now here's the next one where it says, uh, it says tap two target permanence. You have to choose two separate targets for the second, for the second effect in order to even cast the spell. Okay. So there has to be two permanents that you are wanting to tap when you cast the spell or you can't cast it. Gotta follow all the instructions, not yep. just the ones you want. Yup. All right, so let's see. Next up, we've got Pigment Storm for three generic, a red, and a red. It's a sorcery. Pigment Storm deals five damage to target creature. Excess damage is dealt to that creature's controller instead. So, looks a lot like Trample. Spell Trample. The damage there is any leftover damage after you figure out what lethal is. So lethal damage is toughness minus damage already marked on it. So unless the source also has death, okay, unless the source also has death touch, then lethal damage is one. Just takes one. So after you figure all that out, once the spell resolves, the damage to the creature and the controller will happen at the same time and any replacement effects happen then. So if there is a spell that doubles all damage, you can't target a 2-2 with this and expect eight to go to the player's face. It, Happens all at once, so it, yeah. it isn't building on itself. So like Furnace of Wrath, for example, you know, doubles doubles all damage. So you can't look at Pigment Storm and say, oh, well, Pigment Storm's going to do 10 damage to target creature. Cool. So I'm going to deal two to the bear cub, and then the other eight's going to spill over onto the onto the opponent. It's No, you got to do two to the bear cub, three to the player, and then the two that was dealt to the bear cub gets doubled to four, so you overkilled it, and then the three of the player doubles to six. That's kind of neat, at least. Okay, Uh, next up, Plum of the Forbidden. And they're talking about, like, delving plum as in delving, not plum as in the fruit. Not the one in the icebox. Yeah, yeah. It's one in a black for an instant as an additional cost to cast this spell. You may sacrifice one or more creatures. When you do, copy this spell for each creature you sacrifice this way draw a card and you lose one life if you sacrifice a creature with magecraft to cast plumb the forbidden it's gonna be sacrificed before you're done casting the spell so its magecraft ability will not trigger right and if you copy plumb multiple times uh so let's say you didn't sacrifice that magecraft creature you sacrificed another one uh, another bear cup if you copy plumb Plum the Forbidden multiple times, each Magecraft ability 
of creatures you control will trigger that many times. So if you sacrifice four creatures, you're going to get your, your magecraft creatures are each going to trigger uh, uh, five times, you know, once for plum and then for the copies for the four creatures that you, you sacked. Now, when you do copy a spell, uh, you don't have to pay the additional costs. Okay. Uh, they, they've already been paid in the original spell. However, you know, that the, the copies are considered to have paid that additional cost. Okay. So you kind of look at it and you say like, okay, well, hmm, doesn't that mean, doesn't that mean that Plum the Forbidden, the copies of Plum the Forbidden will also create copies? You go, no, it doesn't because it's got this, this extra wording that says as an additional cost to sacrifice the spell, you may sacrifice one or more creatures when you do copy this. So that trigger is not going to trigger for the cop, the, the copies. So the copy keeps it from being terribly yeah. recursive. Right. Which would break the card. I mean, realistically, that would break the card. Too much. Yeah. All right. Now we have Radiant Scroll Wielder for two generic, a red and a white, a creature dwarf cleric. That's a 2-4. Let's see. Instant and sorcery spells you control have lifelink. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile an instant or sorcery card at random from your graveyard. You may cast it this turn. If a spell cast this way would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. The exile is not a may. The exile is going to happen. So if you forget to cast the spell that turn, it's just lost forever. Um, you do still have to pay the mana cost of the spell that you intend to cast. Some instants and sorcery spells instruct other things to deal damage rather than deal damage themselves. And in those cases, it's not the spell dealing the damage, so the lifelink doesn't do what you hope in that case. Right. Like uh, an example would be... Um... Uh, like a, a spell that let, that has two creatures fight. Okay, those right. those two creatures are dealing damage to each other. The spell that you cast is not dealing the damage. Correct. The spell is instructing to fight, not instructing. Yeah, yeah, not dealing damage itself. So Shadrick's Silver Quill is an Elder Dragon for three white and a black for a two five with flying and double strike. At the beginning of each combat on your turn, you may choose two. Each mode must have a tar must target a different player. So it's got three three modes that you got to pick, and each one must target a different player. Three modes. Uh, target player creates a two two one white and black inkling creature token with flying. Target player draws a card and loses one life. Target player puts a plus one plus one counter on each creature they control. Seems pretty straightforward. Now, what this what this ability? I'm going to reread the beginning now after we've gone through those modes. It says at the beginning of combat on your turn, you may choose two each mode so you don't have to choose any of the modes but if you do choose a mode you gotta choose two exactly two you can't do one you can't do three you know four is right out i knew it i was waiting for it <laughs> <laughs> it's like here it comes I, good old am, Monty I that, Python. am i that predictable I, i'm fine with that next up we have spiteful squad for two generic a white and a black yeah, those haircuts um, tell you that they're spiteful that's how you know. Those haircuts are sick. I would totally rock that. Anyway, let's see. This is a creature human warlock with death touch. Um, zero, zero. So what's going on there? Spiteful squad enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it. When spiteful squad dies, put its counters on target creature you control. So leaves you a little gift as it departs. So the third ability puts all counters from spiteful squad on the target creature, not just plus one plus one. 
So whatever counters are on there, they get to move. If you've um, got a verse counter or a... Flying counter oh, from yeah. Ikoria. From Ikoria or a polyp counter. Right. That's, so, a, that's a thing. <laughs> All right. So the counters don't actually move to the target creature. Instead, you put on the target creature the same number and kind that were on Spiteful Squad. When does that distinction become meaningful? So basically what I guess the the clarification is if uh, you're creating counters or adding counters, uh, you know, if if an ability would add a counter, it adds double Uh, instead. It's just it's just making it clear that you're you are adding counters that permanent. You're not moving and thus not creating a counter. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So this can result in some weird cases with the Ozolith. You can, quote unquote, put the counters on more than one permanent, um, the Ozolith is kind of a counter bank. So the the Ozolith uh, is a legendary artifact that says, and among some of its other abilities, whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield, if it had counters on it, put those counters on the Ozolith. So in that particular case, if you have an Ozolith and a bear cub and Spiteful Squad dies, the Ozolith is going to get two plus one plus one counters and so is your bear cub. Nice. Yeah. All right. Oh, this worked out good. Okay, strict strict proctor. Blah. Okay, this one this one actually made my head hurt a little bit. And and it includes some of the the best words you can see in release notes that says this is a change from previous rules. So let's go ahead and read this guy or, or spirit or whatever. Uh so it's one this in is a not qu- this is not quite ward. It gets it gets complicated. So let me, let's explain. So for one in a white it is a one three flying spirit cleric with okay, let me read this text and then we're gonna we're gonna parse this out. Whenever a permanent entering the entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability to trigger, counter that ability unless its controller pays two. Okay. So triggered abilities, use the word win whenever or at. Effects that modify how a creature enters the battlefield are not triggered abilities. So it's like, as this enters the battlefield, put counters on it. That's not a trigger. All right. Basically, when I play something that says, like, I, I play a land that says, uh, or when this land enters the battlefield, gain a life. Okay. So I just played, played that permanent. It entered the battlefield. It caused a triggered ability to trigger. Um... That ability is going to get countered unless it's controller. Me, the person that played the land, pays two. Where this starts getting a little bit, a little bit wacky, is if you play something that enters the battle that that has an enters a, a trigger on my turn. So let me explain. Um, so I control a strict proctor, and it's my turn. Sama plays a creature with an enters the battlefield trigger because. She's got flash. Okay. So creature enters creature enters the battlefield. Samus creature enters the battlefield. It triggers. Okay. Also, because we haven't quite uh uh put things on given someone priority yet, strict proctor is going to trigger too. Okay. Now we go and put the triggers on the stack. Since I'm active player, my trigger is going to go on the stack first. So Sam, uh, what's what's your favorite uh, enters the battlefield? Kitchen Finks. Is that is that what we want to use? Oh, fine. G- gain All two right. gain two life. So Sam plays Sam played Kitchen Finks. Enters the battlefield, gain two life. Uh, that trigger happens. Uh, Strict Proctor triggers. 
Um, okay, now both of those triggers are going to go on the stack. Because it's my turn, uh, Strict Proctor is going to go on the stack first. Then Kitchen Finks' trigger is going to happen. So then we resolve them. Sam is going to gain her two life. And then I had this trigger that says, hey, that counter is going to be, or that trigger is going to be countered unless its controller pays two. Sam, would you like to pay two for that trigger that's already resolved? Um, no, thank you. No. Thanks for the offer. Yeah. And it basically does nothing. So there's a note in the FAQ that says abilities, and I'm going to read the word salad. Uh, abilities that trigger when something else causes an ability to trigger will always go on the stack after the ability that caused them to trigger. For example, strict proctor's ability will always resolve before the triggered ability that causes the trigger caused it to trigger does. This is a change from previous rules. So what this means is that scenario that I just went through with the kitchen finks, they're changing the rules so that uh, because the kitchen finks gain life trigger caused strict proctor to trigger they're changing the ordering so that all triggers work like they normally do except this strict proctor trigger is going to go on the top of the stack they're making it make sense because yeah otherwise it right but it's it's basically going to be an exception case like they've got they they've got to carve out this exception case that basically says all triggers work like they've always done except this one and then in bold, I've got, this is the content you came here for. This is why we're we're 90 minutes into Judge Cast, maybe less after I edit out a few this, boo-boos. But, this is why we have gathered you here yeah, today. 70 minutes into Judge Cast, this is the content you came here for. All right. <laughs> All right. Are you not entertained? You will be at Strixhaven Stadium oh. for three generic for an artifact. All right, so... Activated ability, tap to add a colorless. Put a point counter on Strixhaven Stadium. All right, then whenever a creature deals combat damage to you, remove a point counter from Strixhaven Stadium. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to an opponent, put a point counter on Strixhaven Stadium. Then if it has 10 or more, or more point counters on it, remove them all, and that player loses the game. All right, so wizard football. Quidditch. Can we say that? Are we allowed? What? Are we allowed to say? I don't know. Quidditch on. There? I don't know. You change it. One of the examples up above, I had, I had, uh, I had Albus and Dolores in, you uh, did. yeah, <laughs> as, uh, as making references. Right. That's my active right. and non-active players. All right. So, so that player, what it means by that player losing the game here is the one that a creature you control deals comet combat damage too in a in a multiplayer game where you attack multiple players stacking triggers is important also the loses the game portion is tied to the trigger of dealing combat damage so if you find some other way to put it if you put a 10th counter on strixhaven arena some other way no one loses yet so the next one is i'm just gonna say letters and maybe syllables that'll turn into a word tanazir Quandrix uh, is nice. is three green blue for a legendary creature Elder Dragon four four flying trample when Tans Tansy Tan I'm just gonna call her Tanis I'm just gonna call her Tanis all right <laughs> so when Tanis and yeah you know 
uh, from Letterkenny. Uh, when Tannis enters the battlefield, double the number of plus one, plus one counters on target creature you control. Whenever Tannis attacks, you may have the base power and toughness of another of other creatures you control become equal to Tannis's power and toughness until end of turn. Okay, so Tannis kind of makes everyone the toughest, uh, the toughest guy in Letterkenny. <laughs> All right, so doubling the counters on a permanent is really just putting the same number and type of counters it already has on it. Okay, so in this particular case. If I have a creature with three plus one plus one counters, doubling it is just adding three more. Okay, easy enough. Now, the last ability, a little weird in the sense that you're changing the creature's base power and toughness to be Tannis's power and toughness, not Tannis's base power and toughness. This starts getting into layers a little bit. So if Tannis seven B, I believe. Uh, yeah, we're messing we're messing with uh, with layer seven seven uh, B and a little bit with uh, with C and some other some other stuff. So let's Why say they pay us the big bucks. Yeah, let's say Tannis has two plus one plus one counters. Tannis's base power and toughness is four four. Her power and toughness is six six. So what's going to happen is is whenever Tannis attacks. You can have the base power and toughness of other creatures you control become equal to Tannis's power and toughness. So, so Tannis is a 6-6, six, six, four, 4 plus 2, plus 1, plus 1 counters. Okay, that means my other creature's base power and toughness is going to become 6. Now, they might also have counters and giant growth effects that, that, that pump them up a little bit more. Okay, so keep that in mind. So I feel like if it has one of those... Um, flying counters on it, it should get double flying, which is better than regular flying. Allegedly. <laughs> Alright, next up we got Test of Talents, which is a generic and a blue for an instant. Counter target instant or sorcery spell. Search its controller's graveyard, hand, and library for any number of cards with the same name as that spell and exile them. That player shuffles then draws a card for each card exiled from their hand this way. So they get a little consolation prize there. So countering a spell means putting the spell into the graveyard. So that's where it will be after we complete the first sentence of the card. So if the back face of a modal double face card is countered, you will not be able to exile any cards because no cards will have that name in the graveyard hand or library. It doesn't see it. Yep, only sees the front face. Yep. Womp womp. All right, we're we're coming to the end here. All right, you get all the good names. Um, um, okay, okay, Uvilda, 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 Dina Perfection. It's a double face card for two and a such a stupid joke. For two and a blue is a legendary creature, Gen Wizard, two two, with. Oh, this thing's got a lot of text. Tap. <laughs> you may exile an instant or sorcery card uh, sorcery card from your hand and put three hone counters on it. It gains, at the beginning of your upkeep, if this card is exiled, remove a hone counter from it. And when the last hone counter is removed, you may cast this card. Or, or sorry. When the last hone counter is removed from this card, if it's exiled, you may cast it. It costs four less to cast this way. So it's it's kind of like suspend in a way. Kind of. Uh okay, so I'm going to talk about the front face before we get to uh 
never tell the other dean okay there is so much going on with yeah this okay so the first the first one is um after removing the last hone counter uh casting the spell is optional you don't have to okay you can uh ignore because you're told to cast it right away you're not told that you can cast it until end of turn you can cast it right away uh, you can ignore the timing permissions. However, if you don't cast it or you're unable to cast it, it's exiled forever. The cost reduction from Uvilda's ability doesn't reduce any colored or specifically colorless mana in the spell's cost. The opposite side of Uvilda is Mevilda. No, it's <laughs> it's Stop. Nasari, Dean of Expression. There it is. Yeah. Uh, for three red reds, four four legendary creature, a free shaman that says at the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of each opponent's library until end of turn. You may cast spells from among those exiled cards, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast those spells. Whenever you cast a spell from exile, put a plus one plus one counter on Nasari, Dean of Expression. All right. Uh, the cards exiled with Nasari are going to be exiled face up. Casting those spells are subject to the normal timing restrictions, okay? So you don't get to do it instantly. Any cards exiled with uh, Nasari's ability that you don't cast will remain exiled. You won't be able to cast those cards on future terms, turns, although Nasari's ability will give you another group of cards to choose from each time it resolves. Okay, so in your next upkeep, you're going you're gonna to get to exile uh, uh, the top card. So it says... At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of each opponent's library. Okay, until the end of turn, you can you can cast those spells. So you're going to get several batches, uh, or or you know, if, especially if you're playing in a multiplayer game, you're going to have maybe like two or three. Just keep them straight because people like to get their cards back. Also, Narissi's last ability triggers when you cast any spell from exile, not just the cards that were exiled with the first ability. Okay, so there are other ways to cast spells from Exile, and Nasari will trigger for those. All right, that that was the last, the last card, almost. So wrap, wrapping up here, that was that was the last card. Um, what what are your overall thoughts of the set? Um, so my fiance and I have been playing with some of the take it home pre release little sealed kits um we've been having a blast with it this set has been so much fun and honestly i've been enjoying it even though i've been losing a lot <laughs> which is always a sign that it's well designed all right i'm just having a i'm having a blast with it what do you think um so the store <laughs> this is sad news the store closest to me closed down during the pandemic so the nearest card store i have is about a 30 minute drive out of the way oh, so i haven't gone to pick up any of the any of the cards yet but uh, looking at them, going over the FAQ, reading, reading uh, other people's stuff, watching the the videos about what cards other people are excited about. This set is going to be a gas, and I've ordered uh, uh, two boxes to play with. Nice. Uh, yep. Yeah, and so a big change, sort of, for this uh, release is that in it depends on the region, but in North America specifically, we are only able during pre-release time to sell set booster boxes instead of draft booster boxes like people are used to um, mm -hmm. leading up to the release. So that's been a bit of a change. Um, and I, I think people have had, you know, various thoughts on that. I think it's really cool. Um, I've been really enjoying the new set boosters. Um, 
But for this set specifically, I think the Mystical Archive cards are gorgeous. I think I said that before, mm-hmm. but they really they really do look even better in person than they do on oh, nice. online. Nice. So definitely worth checking out. All right. I guess we're going to we're going to be wrapping things up. We're going to in a few minutes when we close the show, uh it's going to have this awkward thing where we try and kind of work that out because we I'm just now realizing we didn't discuss how we were going to end the show. Uh, but we are judge cast is back we're going to continue putting out an episode every two weeks uh hopefully be releasing on fridays out into the wild covering a various uh a sundry of judge related topics rules policy running events because probably in the next month or three we're gonna get to do those things again yeah it's looking you know light at the end of the tunnel. I yeah. think it's going to I think it's going to be soon. I'm excited to see what comes of all this. I know a lot of us, myself especially, are super rusty, but you know, we're going to shake the rust off. We're going to get out there and show everyone why the judge yep. program is amazing. Yep. All right. Well, something something speech about you can follow us on the Twitter at JudgeCast. Uh we're on the Facebook at JudgeCast. There is an Instagram page, I think. We do not have any TikToks. Yet. So I've always made that as a joke about TikToks. <laughs> uh, are you going to, are we actually going to have one? Matter of time, friend. Oh. It's a matter of time. Right. Uh, you can also send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com and visit us on the web at www.judgecast.com. And until next time, I'm Brian Prillman. I keep it fair. I'm Samantha Har, and I keep it fun. you and I disagree on quite a few things on which magic cards we think are cute, but I think bear cubs are ones that you and I actually do agree on. I, I do. We, we were talking about this last night. You don't think Fibblefip is cute? Absolutely not. I, not even a little bit. No. Tarmogoyf is cute. I don't understand your criteria for determining what is and is not cute. Like, All I know is I'm right. I mean, we're talking Tarmogoyf about- Tarmogoyf is like a big green forest puppy. He's adorable.